Once again, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And once again, welcome, especially a, a warm welcome to all those who are visiting with us here this morning. Uh, our hearts are gladdened by your presence, and we pray that you will uh, be blessed as we are blessed. If you would take a copy of scriptures and turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We're moving right along in this book, and we should be done with it by Christmas. <laughs> probably a little sooner than that, probably a little sooner than that. <clears throat> chapter 5, we finished, of course, chapter 4 last week. Paul, in chapter 4, having exhorted the Ephesian Christians, and by writing this through extension, exhorting us as we read and consider these things, he, he exhorted them to walk worthy of their callings <clears throat> because of what God has done for them and to them in Christ Jesus, which he outlined very extensively in the first three <laughs> chapters of this book, who we are in Christ, the great and glorious reality of the church. Paul now as he continues to help us learn what we need to do to continue putting off the old and putting on the new, uh, he will exhort us now in the first verse of this chapter to be imitators of God. Now if, we, if we're to do something, if we're to put off the old and put on the new, if we're, if we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we have to know how to do that. And Paul says, it's easy. Be imitators of God. And then he's going to give us a picture of, of what that looks like. Now, it sounds easy, but we still have remaining sin clinging to us. And so it's difficult for us. But God provides the grace that we need. Just as human children, for those of you who have children or have had children, you see how your children watch you, repeat things that you do, repeat things that you say. They learn from you by, by imitating you, right? You don't just necessarily have to sit them down and say, okay, this is this and this is this, although you ought to do that. They probably learn more by watching you than listening to you. They imitate you. A lot of kids have said this, I want to grow up to be just like my dad, or I'd like to grow up to be just like my mom. Right? Well, much more, the Christian ought to imitate their Heavenly Father. We ought to seek to imitate our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do this by learning and applying what we learn about God, what we learn about Him in His Word. And so we learn about God, and then we imitate what we learn and know about Him in our lives. And of course, these are the communicable attributes of God that we must imitate. <laughs> There's no way we could possibly imitate the incommunicable attributes. 
In our passage today, I would like us to see three beautiful character traits of God that we are to imitate. First, God is love. Therefore, walk in love. Second, God is light. Therefore, walk in light. And third, God is wisdom. God is all wise. Therefore, walk in wisdom. It is my hope and prayer that God would be very gracious with us here today and that He would enable us to see more of Him through Jesus Christ and that seeing we would obediently strive to imitate Him more each day and this to the praise of His glory. So let's read, starting in chapter 5, verses 1. Let's read our passage. And we will read down through verse 21. The Apostle writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thus reads God's word, and his people say, Amen. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, We come to you in the name of Christ, the living word. And we beg that you would send forth this word into our hearts. 
that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts to willingly and lovingly obey what you reveal about yourself. Father, do this work in every heart. We pray that you would bring the lost to repentance and faith and that you would build up your saints. You would edify us through this sanctifying word. Give us a double portion of your spirit here today that we may be imitators of Christ for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So how can we as Christians be imitators of God? We start with the first one that Paul outlines, walk in love. He writes in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Notice, we're to love as Christ loved us. And that is a sacrificial love. It speaks of here, a fragrant offering. An offering is something that it, we give. And, and a sacrifice is, is something that is killed. Okay? So Christ gave himself up for us. He was killed for us. He died for us. And he did this to save his church, his people. And he did this because he loved us. And so we are given, and, and time and again, we are given Christ as our example. Later on in this very chapter, husbands will be given Christ as an example. Wives will be given the church as an example of how we are to live. Christ, as our, our example said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Sacrificial. That's a sacrificial love. Again, this is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. John 15, 12-14. The psalmist writes, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children. Psalm 103, 17. God's everlasting love for you and for me is manifest on a bloody Roman cross. That's how He manifests His love for us. That's how Christ shows His love for us. Jesus himself said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And finally, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 And so we have God the Father 
and God the Son, Jesus, as examples of what it means to walk in love. And we've already discussed this. We've already seen Paul's, majority of Paul's use of the word walk means a lifestyle. How we live our lives. Walk in love. Live a lifestyle of love. Now, as is frequent in Paul's writings, he, he always puts forth uh, contrasts. He contrasts. Okay? And he's going to contrast here godly love with worldly love. In other words, a worldly love is really not love but lust. The love that we are to walk in is not a human emotion. This is not the stars in your eyes when you fall in love with the love of your life that you meet. This is not the love that's being spoken of here. Okay? This is a love that, that is a sacrificial love. This is a love that's not anything like what the world defines love as. <coughs> It is not defined sensually like the world would have us believe. And so Paul writes, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. You see, he's contrasting <coughs> godly love with worldly lust. He's saying walk in love, don't walk in lust. Your love then, this walk of love, first and foremost is to be a love for God. You probably know it by heart. What's the first and greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We found that recorded in Mark 12, 30. It's a love for God, not a love for self. It's a love for God and how we live for Him and obey Him, not a love for self and how we follow the lusts of our flesh. It is also a love for God that manifests itself in our love for our neighbors. Jesus continues with the greatest commandments, right? The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? You remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? So we are to have a love for God first and foremost and a love for others. Love your neighbor. Notice that, that, that Paul also mentions here not just sensual lusts, with covetousness. So our love for our neighbor should be that of no envy. If your neighbor has more than you, don't covet what your neighbor has. Be happy for him. Be content with what God has given you. Covetousness, as Paul will say later, is idolatry. It's so worshiping things rather than the one who created those things. It's worshiping the creature or the created or creation rather than the creator. 
our love for God needs to be a love for God, and this is important, that manifests itself in how we love the household of God. You cannot truly say you're a loving person as a Christian if you don't love the household of God. Now, the author just slips my mind, but, but he writes the book, Jesus Loved the Church and So Should You. Earl Blackburn, yes. He was here once, several times. Jesus loves the church and so should you. That is not saying this building. This building is where we meet to worship. You are the church. The people are the church. True believers are the church. We should love each other as the household of God. Paul has already addressed that in this book of Ephesians when he addresses the unity in the church. The apostle John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. Who is the one another he's writing on? He's not writing the the, the generic everybody, just love everybody. He's writing to the church. And so he says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's a good litmus test, isn't it, Christian? Do you love the church? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Again, our love for God must be a love that manifests itself in our rejection of of this evil world system. Our love, walking in love, you cannot walk in love and love God and love the world. That's a contrary walk. That's two separate paths. Jesus talked about those paths. One of them is narrow and it leads to life and the other is broad and it leads to destruction. One is loving God and one's loving the world. We cannot walk in love if we love the world because our love is not love, then it is lust. We are following after the lusts of our flesh, after the lust of our eyes, after the pride of life. And, dear ones, that leads to destruction. The Apostle John writes Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he goes on to say, because everything in this world is passing away. You can can love that which is eternal, or you can love that which is temporal. Walking in love is to love our eternal God, and love the things of God, love the people of God. And yes, love those around you, love your neighbor. Well, how can we love those who are lost around us? Share the gospel. Your love for them should should cause you to your heart to break as you see their lost condition. As you as you understand their destiny is eternity in hell under the wrath of God. And your love for them should cause you and motivate you to weep for them, 
to, to cry out to God on their behalf, to share the gospel with them. That is their only hope. <coughs> Your love for God should motivate you to love the people of God and hate the evil world system. God hates sin. We ought to hate sin. Paul continues in verse 4. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. He's already touched on that, right? In chapter 4, talking about our, our speech. In verse 29 of chapter 4, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Where does, the, where does evil talk come from? What, what did Jesus say about that? It comes from the heart. If you're not walking in love, and you're walking in lust, what's going to come out? Corrupt, filthy, crude language. We ought not do that. As a matter of fact, we ought not even laugh or chuckle when we hear somebody else talking like that. Instead, rather than, than being controlled by, by lust, walking in lust, walking after the, the things of this world, walking in love means that we have hearts full of thanksgiving. Paul says rather, you know, be thankful. Give thanksgiving. And, and if you don't have anything to be thankful about, come talk to me. Let me explain a few things to you. If you're a Christian, you have everything to be thankful for. No matter where you find yourself in this life, no matter what situation you find yourself in in this life, you have everything to be thankful for. Because this life is temporary. This is not the end. This is not your eternal state. Instead, we ought to be thankful. We ought to let there be <coughs> thanksgiving, Paul writes. You know, Paul himself is a good example of this, is he not? In his letters, he often writes... How thankful he is to God for, for his readers. And in Colossians, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, Paul says to the church in Coloss. And again, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, he says to Philemon. We ought to be thankful. What what do we have to be thankful for? Jesus. Because without Jesus, we're, we're lost and undone. We're hopeless. Thankful for the Word of God. That's how we learn about Jesus. Thankful for the Gospel. Thankful for the Holy Spirit. That's how we became believers, through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Thankful to God for creating us. Thankful for God's plan of salvation. The great and glorious covenant of redemption. The covenant of grace. 
that's just the, the surface. That's just the, the eternal things that we, we ought to be thankful for. Thankful that we're no longer like the world. Thankful that we can now walk in love rather than in lust. Why are Christians to avoid these things? Why are we to avoid those types of behavior? Paul does these contrasts, but he does it for a reason. And he don't leave us guessing. He, he explains it with a very serious warning. For you may be sure of this, in verse 5, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of of God and Christ. Just a quick note there. The kingdom of God and Christ is the same kingdom. God, Christ is God. The second person of the Trinity. But what does Paul say there? That's just, just a side note. It's an important side note, but that's just a side note. That's not the, the main point of that warning. Is that if you hope to partake in God's kingdom, to be a member of God's kingdom. You can't live like that. Very plainly, if you live like that, you will not go to heaven. Can't say it any, any plainer than that. If you live like the world, you will not go to heaven. If you can think and talk and live like the world around you and you have no problem doing it, you are still of the world. Jesus said specifically, there's a difference between us and them. And there is. If there's not, you're still them. Paul was very clear in what that looks like in chapter 2, in chapter 4 of this book. If you live a life of unrepentant sin, you will perish. Plain and simple. Now Paul is not saying here, and I want you to hear this, Paul is not saying here that a Christian, a truly born again, regenerate Christian, now that's a lot of redundancy there. That all means the same thing, right? Born again, regenerate, a believer. But I'm saying that to make the point. If you are a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have, uh, by faith, taken hold of Christ. You can't lose your salvation. Paul's not saying here that you can. What he is saying is that if you live in an impure life, you're not a Christian. If you can live an impure life without trouble of conscience, you're not a Christian. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. That's heresy. You're either carnal or you're Christian. Now, are Christians perfect? No. Do we have remaining sin clinging to us? Yes. Do we stumble and fall? Yes. But when we do, we have an advocate with the Father. We have the remedy. We're in Christ. 
Paul's not saying that you can lose your salvation. He's saying if you live like this, you don't have salvation. And if you end your life like this, you are lost eternally. He says you will not inherit the kingdom of God in Christ. The Bible says in, in several different places very clearly it echoes this warning. Paul writes to the for church at Corinth, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation in, in chapter 21 writes, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those are very serious warnings. And just in case some of Paul's, Paul's readers did not believe this, or understand it, he continues in verse 6, let no one be deceived, let no one deceive you with empty words. Remember where that comes from. Earlier in the letter, what do the people of this world walk around in? Foolishness, right? And so he's saying, don't let these people, remember the term was empty-headedness? You know, the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And so he's saying, don't let those people, those empty-headed, foolish people, even as they may think they're, they're wise and smart, according to the standards of the world, they might be. Don't let them deceive you with empty words, empty words coming from an empty head. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, we can't just avoid everybody that's in the world. We can have friendships with people who are lost, okay? But your primary fellowship and friendships ought to be within the household of God. Your primary fellowship and friendships ought not be with those outside the, of fellowship, outside of God, Okay? That means you're spending more time with the world than you are with God and with God's people. I think that's what Paul is alluding to here. He's saying, don't, don't become partners. Don't be like them. You've heard the saying, birds of a feather flock together. I'm glad to see you here this morning rather than somewhere else. We are to be with the people of God. There's strength in numbers. Iron sharpens iron, right? So one man sharpens another. That's, that's our Christian fellowship. There is strength in numbers. <clears throat> Living a life of unrepentant sin will bring the wrath of God upon you. There's no if, and, or buts. Paul comes to his second walk that he's going to exhort us to do. Walk in light. First one is walk in love. The 
Next one is walk in light. The idea is you were darkness, now you are light. Not, not you were in darkness, but you were darkness. That's, a, that's another description of total depravity. That's another description of, of what he said in chapter 2 when he said, For you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Death is synonymous with darkness. He said, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul, keeping with this theme of walking worthy, of imitating God, tells the church at Ephesus to walk as children of light because that's who they are. Remember last week, if you were here, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, was, in the quote I read, he, he says that we are clothed in the wedding garments. We are members of the wedding party waiting for the marriage feast of the Lamb. And we ought to conduct ourselves as members of that wedding party. Right? That's what Paul is saying here. You're not children of darkness anymore. Don't walk in darkness. Walk in light. This is not a, a, a new theme in, in the New Testament or in Scripture, period. Darkness most often represents depravity, represents wickedness, represents death. But Jesus brought light into this world, did He not? He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, John 8, 12. And he also said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And again, let your light so shine among men that by seeing your works they may glorify your Father in heaven. We are to walk as children of light because we are light in the Lord. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. You know, the Apostle Peter also wrote of this great reality of who we are. He writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The reality is, dear ones, we are children of light, not darkness. We are children of righteousness, not wickedness. We are children of God, not Satan. Paul speaks of the fruits of this light. You are, you are children of light. So if you walk as children of light, if you're walking in light, or the walk of light, right? That produces fruits. And what are they? Good, right, and true. He says everything that's good, right, and true. 
Good or goodness means having a benevolent, kindly attitude toward others. You are a, a good person. This doesn't mean moral perfection. It means you are good and kindly and benevolent toward others. Righteousness is also said as right living. Right? Right living. Righteousness. What was Christ's righteousness? It was an outworking of his inner holiness. He was holy and therefore perfectly holy. And therefore his righteousness, righteousness is perfect. And his righteousness was manifest in how he lived his life. Consequently, when we say we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we're clothed in his obedience. That's what that means. Christ's righteousness is his obedience. And that is accredited to our account. On account of Christ. We are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. And we should live as such. And true. Everything that is true. Truth not just in word. It's important as we saw last week. It's important to, to be honest and truthful. But this is more than just being truthful. This is knowing the truth. And rightly applying the truth to your life to your thought life, to your speech, to your actions. Those are the fruits of being children of light, walking the walk of light. Paul's next exhortation is twofold, and it comes to us in a positive and a negative as he's continuing to talk about this walk of light. In verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, and expose, expose them. The negative action then is what? Take no part in them. Have nothing to do with them. Now, we know that we can't be separate from the world. I mean, we can't separate ourselves physically from the world. But we do separate ourselves spiritually. We don't copy those around us. You know... Jesus, the, the apostle wrote, do not be conformed to this world. You know, don't be smashed into the mold of the world. You know, that this jello mold, that's conformity. Trans, but be transformed, be changed. We, we are changed. He shows us that. You were darkness, now you are light. Walk as children of light. Take no part in darkness. Don't be like them. But there's, a, there's an opposite reaction, right? Expose them. How do you expose darkness? How, how, let me ask the question like this. How do you dispel darkness? With light. The light of the gospel. What does the light of the gospel do? It shines into the heart of the lost. And, and, and if God attends the preaching of the gospel, that light shines in there and it exposes in the sinner's heart their need for Christ. It shows them their wickedness. It shows them their sinfulness. It shows them their vileness. And it shows them their need to flee to Christ. It shows them their need of Christ's righteousness. That's what the light of the gospel does. That's how we expose the darkness. We preach the gospel. We share the word of God. We live the gospel. That's the positive action. Avoid them. Don't be like them, rather expose them. 
with the light. Why? Because darkness hides, light reveals. Paul issues a gospel call of sorts in, in verses 12 through 14. He said, For it is a shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I think that's a gospel call there. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. <laughs> that, that's a picture of, of, of Christ calling Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Sinner, come forth. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. That Paul's taking this, of course, not a word-for-word -word translation, but he's taking this from the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 60. And he's applying it to Christ. In Isaiah 60, it's talking of Yahweh, God, Jehovah. But Paul takes that here now and replaces Yahweh with Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. And then that brings us to our third and final walk in this section. Walk in wisdom. Paul says for three ways to Christians to, for, for Christians to walk in wisdom. Use of time, understanding God's will, and being spirit-filled. Use your time wisely. Paul writes, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Think about where we are. Not, not just location. But think about when we are. You live here or in the surrounding areas of Jessup. You live here in Georgia. Unless you're traveling from out of state. <coughs> in the early part of the 21st century. Right? So you live here in this locale by the providence of God. And you live in this time by the providence of God. You don't live before the flood. You don't live back in, in the Old Testament days. You don't live in, in, in Europe in the Dark Ages. You don't live in, in Japan and in, in Nagasaki during World War II. You live right here, right now, by the providence of God. God has placed you in this place and in this time. So that begs the question, what are you doing for God now, here? Right here and right now, what are you doing for God? How are you using your time? If we are walking wisely, we'll be using our time wisely. Busy about the things of the Lord, right? That doesn't mean that you quit your job and join a convent or, or, or whatever. That means that, you know, whatever job you have, you work as unto the Lord. You, you share your faith with your co-workers. You live for Christ. 
We must serve Christ now because now is when we're here. We can't serve Christ in the past because that's already gone. And we can strive to serve Christ in the future if we have a future. No, but we know we have right now and that's when we must serve God. That's when we must serve Him right now. We must learn and understand God's will. That's the second part of this. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Remember what he's described was foolishness. He's already described that in this letter. Don't walk foolishly, but be wise, understanding the will of God. How do we understand the will of God? We have to know it, right? How do we know the will of God? Does he give us dreams? Does he speak to us? Or has he given us his will right here? He's revealed himself to us. He's revealed. This is God's revealed will. But understanding God's will is more than just knowing it. It's wisely or rightly applying it and obeying it. We must know the will. It's one thing to know something. It's something totally different to, to do something. We can know what God's will is for me to be in church on the Lord's day. But what if I'm not? Am I, am I understanding? Do I have a proper understanding of God's will? I don't. Because I'm not rightly applying it. I'm not obedient to it. When we properly understand what God's will is, we strive our very best to be obedient to it. That's what it means by having an understanding of God's will. Rightly understanding what we are to do, how we are to live. That's how we walk in wisdom. Walking according to God's will. And finally, we must be filled with the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit. This is not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion. Okay? Paul's not talking about that. He's going to give a contrast. He's going to contrast two things. He's going to say, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? He's contrasting uh, uh, two different controlling things. Don't be controlled with alcohol or any other substance be controlled by the spirit the holy spirit this is not talking about just it's a sin to drink no don't be controlled by anything other than the holy spirit that's the point of that and yes drunkenness is sin okay we can we can definitely say that the drunkenness is what it can be an addiction. And what is an addiction? Something that controls you. Paul's saying don't be controlled by anything but the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has indwelt you. He is your guide. He, he leads you to Christ. He shows you Christ. He magnifies Christ in your life. He, he gives you the grace you need to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom. What, is it, what does it mean, though, 
I mean, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? He doesn't leave us guessing here either. He explains it in verses 19 through 21. To be filled with the Spirit looks like this. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God. The Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what being filled with the Spirit looks like. That's what being controlled with the Spirit looks like. Consequently, it's one of the places where we get our uh, regulative principle of worship. This is one of those places where we get what God has commanded us to do in worship. The, the singing of psalms and songs and hymns. And doing so from the depths of hearts filled with love for Christ. It doesn't matter whether you can carry a tune or not. We're not singing to hear ourselves or to hear one another. Although it's wonderful to hear you singing. We're singing to God. And we're singing from hearts full of love. We're praising our God, our Savior, our Creator. Because He is eternally worthy of praise and worship. Thanksgiving. We've already touched on this. We ought to be thankful. And we ought to express our love for God in thanksgiving. And we ought to possess humility. And Paul here is actually introducing his next section where he will show us what humility looks like in, in the family life, in the workplace, and in the church. And so, starting next Lord's Day, if He's willing, we'll pick up in chapter 5, verse 22, and continue this letter from Paul. The time for us to be imitators of God is now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. Okay, you, you, you can't wait for a time where you think you're good enough to be imitators of God. Now's the time. <coughs> James uh, M. Boyce writes, quote, If you and I are going to redeem the time as wise men and women, we had better do it now. Because there may not be no opportunity tomorrow. If we are to understand the will of God, now is the moment that counts. If we are going to be filled with God's Spirit, now is when we need filling. End quote. So in our passage today, we have seen what it means to be imitators of God. We must walk in love. We must walk in light. And we must walk in wisdom. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's word exhorts you to repent. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ. And believe in Him. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, believe, and live, dear ones. For you who do know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who, who are savingly bound to Christ. We have been exhorted to be imitators of God. So strive, dear ones, to do so with the utmost diligence. Let us start today, right now. I'll close with these words of Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's pray. Holy Father, we have been tasked with an impossibility. In the flesh, in ourselves, Father, we know we cannot, we will not imitate you. Father, we, we beg your forgiveness, we throw ourselves upon your mercy, and we pray that you would help us in this regard, that you would give us your spirit in a powerful way, that we can imitate you, that we can imitate Christ, that we can walk in love, that we can walk in light, and that we can walk in wisdom as you desire us to do as you have created us to do, as you have changed us to do. Make us faithful and obedient in this, Father. Do this for your glory. Do this for Christ and his church. And do this, Father, for it's only something that you can. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would stand with me now and we will sing uh, about the wonderful grace of Jesus. Hymn number 150 in the hymns of grace. <laughs>